the sound of your city. Hello Toronto and welcome to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougall. I'm going to be your host today and we've got to celebrate on this day. It's episode number 70 
of this show, Tracks from Abroad. I started it as a student. I still am a student, haven't graduated yet, but man, I'm getting there. And today's show is going to be about Indonesia. On every single episode of Tracks from Abroad, we feature a different country from around the world, and we speak to students at the University of Toronto who have ties to that country, who can tell us their favorite music that they heard growing up there, their favorite foods, and their favorite stories that go to show what it means to be an Indonesian, a Nigerian, a Ukrainian, whatever it may be, we go all over the world on this show. So thank you for being with us here today. Again, episode number 70. And it's fitting that it's Indonesia because just about three weeks ago, I visited Indonesia for the very first time. And I hiked a volcanic mountain called Mount Rinjani. I also added a few notches to my spice tolerance. If you've ever been to that country, it's spicy food. And today on the show, to tell us all about that and a whole lot more, we welcome Adeline. She's a student at Woodsworth College at the University of Toronto, and she also was joined in the studio by Aisha. Aisha is a volunteer at CIUT. You're going to hear that in the first 30 minutes of our show, but stay tuned because soon we are welcoming Chris Hull onto the episode. He is the conductor of the University of Toronto Gamelan Ensemble at the Faculty of Music, and he brought along his own instructor for this traditional form of Balinese music, Dewa, as well. We welcome them both. And finally, our last interview, again, mixed in between some music, is with Bill. He was my surf instructor in Indonesia on Lombok Island in a small town called Garupok. If anyone has been there, please send me an email. I'd love to hear the stories from that travel. Send it to tracksfromabroad at ciut.fm. Now, 70 episodes for Tracks from Abroad is a big milestone, and we thank everybody for listening. But we also have to give thanks to a Steve Fruitman. Steve is, of course, the host of 334578 on CIUT, and he just passed 35 years serving this station. Thank you again for listening, and now let's get into this episode of Tracks from Abroad. So Adeline, first of all, to start out, how did you come to Canada from Southeast Asia? So just a quick background about me. I was born and raised in Singapore, but my parents are Indonesian. But, um, you know, I just thought, hey, you know, why not give Canada a try? My aunt came to U of T, um, you know, when she was doing her undergrad. And I just tried my luck. I applied and boom, I got in miraculously. And I'm (laughs) like, this would be an exciting opportunity to learn about Canada, to learn about myself and just enjoy university. That sounds amazing. I hope you have enjoyed university here. Just following up from that, have you been able to find an Indonesian or Singaporean community here at U of T? Yes, there are student groups um, or student clubs at U of T. So there is the MSSA, which is the Malaysian Singapore Student Association. Then for the Indonesian student club, one of the student clubs is called UTISA. So that's like University of Toronto Indonesian Students Association. That's the one based in St. George. I also have a lot of Filipino friends too. So that's why I decided, hey, you know, like, why not I just immerse myself in this community while I have the chance to. What do you think was the biggest culture shock or just the biggest thing you had to get used to moving here from um, as an Indonesian? I think the biggest thing that I had to get used to is um, the fact that milk came in bags. (laughs) Uh, Actually, that's uh, that's just a joke. (laughs) Like the real, real culture shock that I had here. Um, Well, I don't mean to get too controversial, but 
weed. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, very yeah, highly criminalized in Southeast Asia, yeah. as I understand. Because, like, um, in Indonesia and in Singapore, um, there are severe, you know, really severe punishments if you do bring drugs into, you know, either Indonesia or Singapore. I've never lived with weed my whole entire life. I've never been around it, never touched it, like, just had no exposure whatsoever. Yeah. I've only heard of it, right? And so immediately when I come here, I couldn't get used to the smell. The smell was so pungent, you know, like I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And what's so funny is that in front of my uh, apartment building, people would smoke weed, okay? And my mom is like, Adeline, you need to get fresh air. And I, okay, and I tell my mom, mom, the minute that I open the window, it's freaking <laughs> like weed smoke coming into my studio mm, and I can't get any fresh air air whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? And um, just as that was bad enough for me, <laughs> at least, um, one day I was just, you know, studying in my um, in my studio and then I smelled the scent of weed like from my room, but I didn't know where. Mm-hmm. I looked at my window and I checked my windows. I'm like, the windows are locked. How could weed smoke come from the outside? So I assume it was from the inside, right? And oh, no. then um, I was just, you know, wandering into my kitchen. It, the smell didn't come from my kitchen. I go into my bathroom. I open the door, and oh my god! Like the <laughs> smell of weed filled the whole entire from your bathroom space. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. It's so weird because um, was there this... someone in the bathroom? No, 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 no. Nobody was. It was in the a bathroom. ghost talking no. in the bathroom. <laughs> no, we do not bring up about ghosts when you're talking about Indonesia. I don't know, mysticism and like the supernatural, when you talk about the supernatural in the context of Indonesia, like let's yeah. just And then you combine it with something there. controversial like weed. Yeah, yeah. Double negative. It's yeah. double negative. It's double negative. You don't want to mess with great. that shit. Yeah. Sorry, I had to swear because Indonesians, when it comes to anything about ghosts, spirits or anything like that, take those things, can take those things seriously. But okay, in this, in this scenario though there were no ghosts there were no if you say so yeah so how it happened was apparently i had my fan on somebody on the floor or somebody in the apartment building was just smoking weed Hmm. i think the smell got i don't know somehow infiltrated the exhaust the the exhaust system yeah yeah yeah. i literally am suffocating in my Mm -hmm. studio so yeah it's like pretty bad (laughs) wow yeah well on every episode of Tracks from Abroad, we not only talk to international students at the University of Toronto, but we play some international music. And mm-hmm. Adeline, you suggested some music. So we're going to go straight to a music break. We're going to be back and we'll talk about the playlist that you suggested. So today we're here with Adeline and Aisha on Tracks from Abroad. Today's episode is all about Indonesia. And we're going to be back with you right after this song. <laughs> Di sini ada aku yang cinta padamu Kau gadisku yang manis Coba lihat aku di sini Di sini ada aku yang sayang padamu oh, oh. Walau ku tahu bahwa dirimu
เชื่ออาราฟผมมาจากประเทศไทยและคนกำลังฟัง Tracks from Abroad ทาง CIUT 89.5 FM CIUT The Sound of Your To tracks from abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm Aisha Narang, and we're here with Adeline and Jesse McDougal, the hosts of the what show. Up? 
We're talking about Indonesia, and we just played a song from your playlist, Adeline. What song was that? So it's a song um, called um, Manghapus Jejakmu by Peter Pan. This is a song that has a really special meaning for uh, for me because this song was the song that my mom had play whenever you know somebody were to call her up because this is her ringtone. This was her ringtone for her Nokia phone back in like 2010 mm. or something, 2009. So you heard it over and over again when people yeah, called Yeah, I heard it. it over and over again, but I never got sick of it because it was just really catchy and it was actually one of the first Indonesian songs that I learned how to you know sing by heart it was one of the Indonesian songs that I genuinely you know took a look at and I learned a lot of like Indonesian vocabulary from the song too so that's why it has such a really special meaning to me and uh, music was one of the only ways I could really connect with Indonesian culture because the environment that I grew up in, besides just speaking Indonesian with my family, I didn't have that many Indonesian friends when I was in you know, elementary school. I grew up in an international school. I studied with a lot of students from other countries, but none of them were ever from Indonesia. So then I was kind of pretty much a lone wolf when, when it came to learning Indonesian because they don't sell Indonesian books in Singapore by the way so I had to go to the Indonesian airport and you know buy some books and unfortunately the books that they have in international airports in Indonesia most of them are written in English Mm. and there's only a select few that were actually written in Indonesian and most of them were just you know magazines so yeah I studied the hell out of that (laughs) magazine because it was the only source of you know education that I really had when it came to learning Indonesian and oh my goodness like conversational Indonesian and formal Indonesian is really different Mm. and why I say this is because if you speak conversational Indonesian you can ignore the grammatical you know structure Mm. of you know Indonesian there is practically no grammatical structure when it comes to um, conversational Indonesian just say the verb just say the noun you know it's pretty um, easy in that sense but then when it comes to formal Indonesian even Indonesians in Indonesia struggle with learning formal Indonesian because it's so different from conversational Indonesian. It took me a while to really understand what um, the articles were talking about. It took me a while to understand, like you know, how Indonesian as a language functioned. Over over um, the time that I was living in Singapore, through these consistent efforts, I eventually grew to be you know conversationally like um, fluent in Indonesian. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like um super duper fluent in conversational Indonesian, but if you told me to have a conversation with an Indonesian, I'd be able to do it. It sounds like there's not a lot of Indonesian representation in Singapore. Do you feel like it's like Mm. that in Toronto as well? Or what has your experience been? There is Indonesian representation. Like, like, okay, the thing is, is that a lot of Indonesian Uh, wait sorry a lot of people when they think about Indonesia they just think about either Jakarta or Bali right but Indonesia is massive it's Mm -hmm. just incredibly massive and so to just only think about Jakarta and Bali as you know the first things you think about Indonesia is just kind of um, I guess reductionist so I really wanted to bring um, attention to this um, to the listeners of this you know show because um, if you go to Indonesia when you see Bali, you think like it's just beautiful, right? But then there's also like 
kind of a dark side to it as well. And there's been like this issue of like, how are we going to cope with all of the waste that is, you know, created from mm. all of this tourism, right? And unfortunately, a lot of lakes, a lot of rivers in Indonesia, a lot of, you know, mangroves as well have been polluted because of trash. And I think it's not just stemming from the tourists themselves, but it's also because like in Indonesia, there isn't much of um, an awareness to, you know, dispose trash properly. And there's also not really, you know, established waste systems in Indonesia. Very nice. All right. Well, Adeline, we are going to go to a music break now on Tracks from Abroad, and I am going to let you select another song, and I'd love you to tell us <laughs> where it came from. Why did you pick it? This song that I chose is um, by We Are Genius. It's titled DPS. It's the short form of Denpasar, which is also an alternative name for Bali. This song fuses EDM and gamelan music together. So gamelan is essentially the Indonesian version of an orchestra. Most of the instruments that comprise this um, you know, orchestra are mainly percussion instruments like xylophones, metallophones, and gongs. They're in a typical orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today on Tracks from Abroad, we're learning all about Indonesia with Adeline, also joined by our co-host, Aisha, and we're going to be back with you right after this song. Nama saya Zoe dan anda sedang mendengar Tracks from Abroad di stesen radio CIUT 89.5 FM. Go back, I'm here baby waiting for ya Stop holding on, stop holding on Baby, I just don't wanna lose ya There will be no time for us to fight the destiny I will never change my mind to live a fantasy There will be a time for us to find clarity this world is crazy, but we love the insanity There will be no time for us to fight the destiny I will never change my mind to live a fantasy There will be a time for us to find clarity This world is crazy, but we love the Oh 
it's Vanessa from the African Student Association at UTSC, also from Zambia and Ghana, and you're listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. Kapan terakhir kali kamu dapat tertidur tenang? Tak perlu memikirkan tentang apa yang akan datang. Hari tubuh yang berpatah hati bergantung pada gaji berlomba jadi asri mengais validasi dan aku pun tak hadir seakan paling mahir menenangkan dirimu yang merasa terpinggirkan dunia tak pernah adil kita semua gagal. Angkat minumanmu bersedih bersama-sama Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Aisha Narang, and I'm joined here with Adlin and the host, Jesse McDougall. And we're so glad to have you here, Adlin. Sure. Thank you for having me. All right. I'm going to jump in with a question. And okay, Adlin, sure. you may not know that uh, in one month, less than a month's time, mm-hmm. I'm going to Malaysia for the first time for okay. the whole month of May. And okay. not only that, but we're making sure to go at the end of the trip mm-hmm. to Indonesia, to Lombok. 
Okay. To hike a mountain. Okay. And because I've been working on tracks from abroad, I am expecting to make some shows as I travel through Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. So I want to ask you, what should I make sure to record and to send back to the people Ooh. in Canada? I think you should show the food in mm. Indonesia. The food in Indonesia is incredibly diverse. And when I say incredibly diverse, you could have one dish. You could have one dish and it would be different in every single region of Indonesia. And each um, region and each province has their own you know, specialty too. And so I think when people think about Indonesian food, they just think about, oh, sate. Right. But Mm -hmm. then which is like a skewered meat. Yeah. Skewered meat. Yeah. Indonesian food is just more than something. Mm -hmm. It's way more than that. You can only get it there. There is a famous dish in Indonesia called soto. But soto is just like this kind of soup. And in different areas of Indonesia, they can come with noodles. They can come with like shredded chicken. Yeah. They have their own twist on these, you know, typical uh, conventional dishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you think being Indonesian, but being raised and born in Singapore, how do you think that's shaped who you are as a person, especially here in Toronto? As an Indonesian who was born and raised in Singapore, obviously, um, I tried my best to connect with my culture. However, um, there is obviously some disconnect that I have because I've never, um, you know, I've never been surrounded in an environment where everybody spoke Indonesian, I feel like I kind of missed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of missed out on like, you know, the cultural and non-spoken rules when it comes to socialization. And um, I also think that as a child, I had an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. So if somebody were to ask me, hey, where are you from, Adeline? And mm-hmm. I'll be like, well, I think I'm half Singaporean. I'm a quarter Indonesian and a quarter Chinese. And, yeah. and then, you know, how it's shaped me in in Toronto. So being Indonesian doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be friends with all of your, um, you know, Indonesians. It just essentially means that as long as you have some kind of um, purpose, that your purpose or your uh, identity is, you know, related to just being Indonesian, like that's already enough. Just as long as you have some kind of um, connection and passion for the culture, like that's kind of enough to be Indonesian. Thank you so much, Adeline, for being on our show and telling us about Indonesia. Sure. Thank you so much for asking me such brilliant questions about Indonesia. Honestly, like this is the first time I've ever, you know, been on a show like this. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Certainly. And I also want to thank Aisha for being our co-host today. And everybody stay tuned for our next interview. It's with the faculty of music here at U of T, the Gamilan Orchestra.
are listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougall, and I want to give a big thank you to Adeline for coming on our show, telling us about Indonesia. I hope you enjoyed those funny stories as well as the, the bathroom ghost story uh, that, that, got me, uh, that gave me a laugh. And also to Ayesha, our volunteer on today's show, our co-host. Thank you very much to her as well. Now, stay tuned, because coming up right now, we have Chris Hull and Dewa. They are both involved in the Balinese Gamelan Ensemble at the University of Toronto, the Faculty of Music. I spoke to them in Walter Hall way back in March. And Dewa uh, is also part of the Sudamani Balinese Gamelan group, really well-known and well-revered. So if you're enjoying this episode of Tracks from Abroad, we're doing episode number 70 of the show talking about Indonesia. And if you want to head to tfa.radio on Instagram, that'll give you a link to all of the episodes we've done on countries all across the world. I started out my interview with Chris Hull and Dewa by asking Chris about when his ensemble began. This ensemble, the Balinese Gamelan Ensemble, has been at the university since 1993, but it hasn't been active for the last, I think, five or six years since the original director retired, uh, Dr. Annette Sanger. And so because I'm here and I'm interested in Gamelan and uh, my graduate work has to do with it, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get this ensemble running again? And so it's an interesting mix of students, but also community members, some faculty members, and we've had a lot of fun discovering a sort of Balinese sense of making music, learning about music, and, and thinking about music. So looking on the Faculty of Music website, I have seen you know the descriptions of Indonesian gamelan, Javanese, and now I hear Balinese. So today, can you tell us about this place in Indonesia? So Bali is a small island within Indonesia. It has very rich musical art, actually. We have about more than 25 different kinds of ensemble in Bali's alone. One that you're going to hear tonight is called Gamelan Smarpogulingan. It reflects the way that the Balinese community operates as well. So in the Gamelan that you can see people play like an organization. Each particular instrument has its function similar to a community. So one instrument will play the beat, and the other instruments will play an ornamentation, and the other instrument will play, emphasize the melody. So we work like a community in order to keep the music together. So. In 2013, I was in the middle of my undergraduate degree in percussion at Wilfrid Laurier University, also in Waterloo. And down the road, um, the University of Waterloo hired a new full-time professor, Dr. Maisie Sum. Part of what happened when she was hired was she brought a gamelan to the, univer to the music department there and started teaching it. And it so happens 
Dr. Maisie Sum is the wife of Dewa here, Idewa Madisparta. And it wasn't long after she was hired that he also joined the faculty as a, as a guest artist in residence. So when that happened, I was in town at the other university, and my dad recommended that I get involved with the gamelan. He said, you play percussion, you would love gamelan. Do you know what that is? I said, no, I don't know. I've heard about it once, you know, something about gongs and Indonesia, and Debussy heard it at the 1896 World Expo. You know, that was, that was as much as I'd ever heard of it in my classical music education. It's, I'll, I won't, I'll spare you, so it's quite a long story, but basically I loved it so much and I loved playing music with Dewa. A few years later, I ended up studying abroad and I studied at the National Arts Institute campus in Bali's capital city of Denpasar. And after that experience, that's what led me to want to study ethnomusicology and brought me here. Now, Chris, you said a gamelan. Is this the name of the instrument and, and what instruments are involved? Gongs or, or what else? Yeah, so gamelan is one of those words that kind of has a lot of meanings. It's, it refers to the style of music. It, it refers to the instrument. It's kind of, it also sort of refers to the ensemble, sort of like how we say orchestra. The ensemble we have here at the University of Toronto, uh, Dewa mentioned, is called Samarpugulingan, and it's got a collection of gongs, cymbals, drums, and bamboo flutes, and metallophones, which are sort of like, um, you know, like you can think of like a bronze xylophone. So we've got bronze bars arranged like a keyboard and they play melodies. And together they play this meticulously constructed music that um, embellishes melodic patterns rhythmically with interlocking figures and things like that. Holy cow, meticulous interlocking figures. Dewa, when Chris was learning this for the first time, where do you even begin in teaching him about Indonesian gamelan? When the first time I met Chris, actually, he was already, he already learned how to play the, the gamelan, pretty much the basic principle of playing. So at that time, I just have to kind of lift up the energy of the group at that time. So to change the dynamic and the tempo of it. And we have to, to get the, the group playing like a one person, pretty much. To Chris, back to Chris. When you first went to this country, what things did you notice? What was different between Canada and Indonesia? I think the most striking thing I noticed when I went to Bali was um, the difference in the societal value placed on music. I had been taught in school things like, well, you should never accept less money for a gig than what you're worth or something. You got to be very professional and because we're in a context here where not everyone values music the, the same way we might as musicians. When I got to Bali, it was the reverse. It was, I, I, it was almost like I, I was overwhelmed by the appreciation I felt. And that was, that was a really exciting and affirming experience. I really liked that. Um, the music that we learn reflects that societal appreciation for music, and it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Well, man, how cool is it that we have the instructor and the student, and the student has become an instructor for other students. It's really nice to see. As we uh, are excitedly awaiting the gamelan, any last words? What can we expect from this performance? The gamelan sounds can be very loud. Okay. <laughs> um, well, hopefully what you can expect is uh, some, some good energy, lots of smiles, and um, an enjoyment of playing music together. Oh, yeah, well, let's appreciate right now the Faculty of Music, these world ensembles. Not only tonight are we going to hear gamelan, we're also going to hear steel pan drumming and taiko, Japanese taiko drumming. How cool is that? Great. Yep, can't wait. Well, thank you very much, Dewa, for talking to us on Tracks from Abroad and to Chris as well. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Most of those who believe they should stop find it very difficult to do so. 
they find it's become a deeply ingrained habit. A habit they can't change just because they want to. I know about these things because I've been through it. This is Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM, and today's episode is number 70. We've been talking about the country of Indonesia, and in the month of May, for one week, I was able to visit Indonesia. This doesn't usually happen for the countries we talk about week after week, but I actually set foot in Indonesia, and I had a great time while I was there. And one of the highlights of my week was going to learn how to surf, and that was with a camp called Monsoon Surf in the town of Garupok on the island of Lombok. I really recommend that. And the man who is running it is named Bill Fu. We are welcoming Bill onto the radio show today to talk about his beginnings in surfing, the changes he has observed in Indonesia, and the enduring love uh, that many people all around the world have for surfing. Presently, I'm in Bilbao, Spain, which is this is a region known for surfing. And today I went to the beach just to watch because soon enough I would like to get out in those waves too. So here is Bill Fu from Monsoon Surf talking about Indonesia. When did I start surfing? Seriously surfing since I think it's 2007. I tried before, like when I was in my 20s. I kind of tried once and then I said to myself, uh, maybe next life. When I was in England is when I have access to all this information. It's kind of like a surf fan, you know? So it's kind of like all my holidays, I don't go home. I fly to Singapore and Silk and fly to here. And then there were no airports here. Uh, the rest is just 
One thing I'm very curious about is how you were able to get together these guides um, who have helped us throughout the week at our surf camp, but all the surf instructors are pretty young, and, and my my instructor, um, Badri, was pretty he was close to my age. We were born in the same year. All right. So how did you recruit these these folks? They are my boys. Like, I know them before they can speak. Babies. Some of them babies. So it's kind of like... Uh, Basically, I came when I first came here. The village is very small. There were no roads, like really, really nothing. Most of the villages are still very kind of primitive. Mm-hmm. This is one good example. In the morning, we when there is no wave or anything, we hang around at the beach at like five, six, seven, something like that. And then the fishermen kind of come back. So everyone in the village just go out and help you know, picking out the sardines kind of fish. And then after that, he will give everyone a little portion, something like that. Some of them go to exchange for vegetables, exchange for rice. They, they don't even have electricity. And I remember their 2000, if, is it 2008 World Cup? I cannot remember then. World Cup soccer. Yeah, yeah. football. The whole village only have one television. Wow. Uh, the match was like nearly midnight something, like after midnight something. Everyone sit on the floor. The whole village come out and sit on the floor. Yeah, and watch the football. And we were like guests. So I've been in this small village in Lombok, Indonesia called Gurubo for the past week. And I've noticed yeah. people have cell phones. They have access to the internet. They're playing video games. So surely you've seen the town change significantly. Yes. What what changes have you seen and what are the consequences of those changes? It's a really bad thing. You have a village that is so lovely and innocent. 180, 360, like people were happy before. And I was from England, from London, you live in a city, you know how city life is like, you know how modern life is like. And then suddenly you go to a village, you actually feel something. You can be rich, luxury, have luxury things and, and not happy. And you can be poor and very happy. This is what I've seen. People do not need money to be happy. And you know, like I come from a Chinese background and you are taught to work hard, big cars, big house. That is what they call success, material. Yeah, this is what I discover real happiness. One thing that certainly has not changed is Islam. And there is still a mosque in town. Uh, The muezzin or the, the, the prayer caller got up today as he does every single day at 4.30 a.m. and calls to prayer on a very loud uh, speaker, which I'm only starting to get used to. I don't know if you're used to it. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Islam is important to our young guides who are in their 20s? They're part of a new generation. It's very important. It's very important. It's very important because in Indonesia, you know, like if children, they want to go to school, they have to spend money. I can tell you many families like seriously cannot afford. So the only thing that can teach them to be a kind of good person, you know, like, you know, we are all barbarian. If you are not caught in certain way, they will think, they will become like barbarian. 
So basic Islam kind of help them to be to behave kind of behave properly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think these guides will ever leave Lombok to be surfers elsewhere or do they really picture themselves living here for their their whole life? Most of them I would say was stay in group book. Yeah. Uh but also now you have this increasing number of uh, locals that married foreigner because one better life. Uh listen that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your average day as a surfer in Garupa. Typically, I think you do two sessions, which means you you go out by boat to one of five locations. So what is your average day like if you're going out surfing? I wake up before the prayers, usually. Really? Pretty early. Yeah. yeah. When I come here, it's just weird. I come here, I wake up before the prayer, and we go out before sunrise. Go surf till maybe eight, nine, come back, have breakfast, go to sleep, and then wake up. Uh, chill a little bit and then afternoon three four go out again until sunset come back have dinner go to sleep every day <laughs> so my life is very simple i'm living in my dream basically i never imagined i can do it in my life i mean like when i was young i worked hard never stop never stop no holidays and this uh, you know chinese character boom 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 only work concentrate for make money one this one that and this and that and then I discovered surfing uh, my ex-wife she's like no you cannot go surfing you have to this that we have to that and that you have to work I mean straight away the next day I asked her to divorce and I gave her everything mm-hmm. I signed everything over to her if not I go crazy Let's let's end it like this, Bill. All right. If somebody has never tried surfing before and they're interested, they they see you having so much fun. What would you say to them? How do they get into this sport? You decide for yourself. But I can guarantee you, you're gonna get hooked. All right. Thank you very much for driving with us and telling us about the village of Garupo in Indonesia, and for coming onto tracks from abroad. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You did a great job, Bill. Nice one. Anything to help, man. listening to of course tracks from abroad on ciut 89.5 fm my name is jesse mcdougall and i'm here to wrap up the show today we had three separate interviews all about indonesia getting some different perspectives on this immense country in southeast asia while i was there i wrote about not only the surfing that i did but also a volcano that i hiked called mount ranjani in a blog post and if you'd like to read some of those blog posts i'll send it to you just email me at track from abroad at ciut.fm and to end today's show we're going to play some canadian music by artists of asian descent we're starting out with paul chin and wrapping up with kid koala this is tracks from abroad and we'll see you next week Please, we ain't begging for you.
guest on Tracks from Abroad several times, and I'd just like to say that Tracks from Abroad represents one of the most important aspects of a campus radio station that is giving a voice to students and their music. (laughs) 